Last week, we were looking at being still and knowing that God is God, having that confidence in the stillness and in the silence. And we're still looking at that this week uh, as we go through these sort of three or four weeks of putting it to the test. And I don't know about you, but I'm really loving this Living Life Well series. It is just so good that we're all doing it together. It's lovely hearing from the children and the youth as well. I was with my little uh, MIF group this week, and I said, now, I don't know if anyone has been looking at this book, and they said, oh, yes, Judy, we're doing it as a family, and we're doing it, I read it on the bus, and I, you know, and it was just so brilliant that I'd underestimated just the impact that already it was having on, on families, so I'm really encouraged uh, by that as we go through. Uh, we're looking at this uh, quite kind of obscure chapter, maybe, in Galatians in terms of being still. It might not be something that you would naturally go to as a chapter, but it's a brilliant, brilliant account of what can be achieved in silence and solitude, that even learning, even the great learned Paul couldn't fathom unless the Spirit of God touched him in the quiet place. That the transformation that happened when Saul was on the Damascus Road, if you know the story, he actually was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians and actually had this absolute incredible encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, who said, it is me, Jesus, who you're persecuting. It's me. And then, instead of going straight into learning or straight into persuasion, what Paul does is he goes straight into stillness. He takes himself out of the program and into silence and solitude in Arabia before anything else happens. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know what your reaction to silence and solitude is, but I would imagine that in the world that we live in, it's hard. It is increasingly hard. We are in an instant world. We're in the world of Instagram, microwave. We're in the instant I want it now kind of generation. And we're all breathing that air, aren't we? You know, I went into the Apple shop to try and uh, see what was wrong with my iPad. And uh, I said, why won't it work for me? And he said, well, two things. You've got too many apps and not enough storage. (laughs) And I thought that's quite a thing about my life sometimes. (laughs) Too many apps and not enough storage. Does that resonate? You know, we've got so many different things, so many apps open, if you like, so many passions and people and interests that this discipline of silence and solitude does not come easily for many, many of us. But my hunch is that it probably didn't for Paul. So we don't get off the hook, I don't think, whatever our personality is. He was driven. He was a driven guy. He was a busy guy. He was a learned guy who liked always to be moving forwards. He was an activist, a radical. And yet he says that the transformation was not of man, but it was in the stillness. And if we are longing for breakthrough in our spiritual lives, and I think we all are, in all honest truth, I believe that most of the breakthroughs that really we're convinced of will happen not at the persuasion of man or woman, but will happen in the stillness, in the quiet place, in the place that is uncluttered, even when we have no words, because that is actually communion with God. Thomas Merton says this, inner silence depends on a continual seeking, a continual crying in the night, a repeatedly bending over the abyss, for he is found when he is sought, and when he is no longer sought, he escapes us. And actually that last bit is a health warning, I think. 
It's a health warning for me and it's a health warning for you. That when we stop trying to just seek him in the quiet place, in the wordless place, then actually we're in peril. Now, you might be someone who says, Judy, I just can't do retreat or I just can't do silence. Now, you need to know that I am a retreat runaway. I ran away in the night from a retreat. So we are listening to someone who knows what it is to think, I cannot do this. I rang Lois Cuthbert in the car park in the dead of night and said, I am leaving this place. It is cold. They play Rachmaninoff over lunchtime. They don't speak. It's grey. And everyone's got a cold and flu in my dormitory. Please, may I leave? She said yes, which was lovely. And uh, laughed quite a lot, fortunately. But... Um, it is very, very difficult. If you're an extrovert, if you're somebody who needs people, who needs um, active things to happen, it is a difficult discipline. But I would say that I pressed on with the business of retreating and suffered for the gospel in Spain. You can see how that worked a little bit better for me. Um, but I, I went to a Spanish retreat on my sabbatical just for five days and it made so much difference to my life, I can't even begin to tell you. And there were two hours in the afternoon that were silent, but they were silent with orange trees and olive groves and water and the things that I absolutely find inspiring for God. And silence and stillness came much easier to me there. Now, I joke about the weather thing, but actually it was really to do with what actually works for you. Don't think that what worked for Jesus worked the same for Paul or worked the same for Elijah. They're different, aren't they? But they all needed it. You know, look at Elijah under the broom tree. Silence and solitude is what fixes him. He has this incredible encounter of rest and, and renewal. So when I was in Spain, one of the fundamental things I found it difficult to do was to close all the apps down was to unclutter my thinking. Because when busyness gets into our thinking, it gets into our prayer life. And we, we've got our lists, and we, we're sort of, oh, and Lord, I pray, bless so-and-so, and we've got to remember such and such, and the leaders have asked us to pray for so-and-so. And we, we just go on and on and on. Whereas actually, in the stillness, in the model of Jesus, we have this withdrawal. William Barclay says that actually Jesus found his power to meet with the crowds from his time alone under the stars. I've never forgotten that. That actually Jesus' rhythm, if you look in Luke 6, we see that Jesus, what does he do when he starts out? He goes away and prays early in the morning, then he chooses the 12 disciples that are going to change the world. So when we look at being world changers, that's what Jesus does first. And when he's chosen them, at the end of the day in Luke 6, he does it again. In other words, he hems in the birth of that new ministry by times of solitude and silence. So actually, whatever our temperament, I don't think we get off the hook. I know that's not a popular thing to say. Some of you are looking very worried. But what does help us is that Jesus knows us. He knew what worked for me and what didn't, and he will find it for you. And what I love about this is it says it keeps trying. Keep crying out. Keep trying it. You know, I tried five minutes silence this week uh, before doing anything else, and it, it actually was a test for me <laughs> to be silent for five minutes. But do you know, the rest of the day, I was just almost thinking, I wonder what happened in those five minutes that has given me this feeling of resilience today. I don't know what God gave me, but I do know that it was something deep when deep calls to deep. 
Paul went into Arabia for quiet and solitude. In this period of withdrawal, the gospel of grace was revealed in all its fullness. That's a brilliant John Stock quote that I think helps us understand this passage. That actually, when we go into stillness, what many of us fear is, what if God and I don't get on? What if, I've, what, if, what if he judges me? What if I start to feel ill about all my sicknesses? What if he exposes something again that he doesn't like? And actually, what happens to Paul is mercy. And he's a murderer. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't want to look God in the face in the silence and the solitude, and yet... He receives mercy. He gets the gospel of grace in all its fullness. And for the first time, he's had this encounter where Jesus said, it's me who you persecute. And actually in the silence and solitude, he receives the fullness of God's grace, the forgiveness. Otherwise, how could he do what he goes on to do? How could he do it? As a known killer of Christians, and we read that in the passage, that he was known for this, as Gary read to us. How could he face people with this gospel of grace? Because he was the worst of all sinners, as we know in one of his letters. Galatians 15 and 16 of this chapter says, but when God, by his grace, chose to reveal his son in me, I did not consult any man. So I wonder if you're tussling with something, and all of us probably will be, if you've got a repeated sin in your life or repeated doubt in your life or just that hurriedness or something that actually is really troubling you, there is something about this that is hard for us. If I've got an issue, I will go to people really quickly. That is me. My default position is, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think I should do? And many of you here will think, I've heard you say that, Judy. I'm I'm someone who likes counsel of wisdom from others. But actually, sometimes we have to trust first and foremost that God might reveal a different kind of wisdom just to us that actually is for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need help, but it does mean that when we're running around asking everyone else to pray for us or to help us understand something, sometimes God says, be with me first, and things will start to fall into place. John Ortberg says this, and this has challenged me all week. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Perhaps the most serious aspect of hurry sickness is a damaged capacity to love. Now, when I first read that, it kind of broke me a little bit um, because I am a bit of a hurrier. I said to a friend a few um, months back, do you think I'm too busy? And he said, no, I don't think you're too busy. I just think you're in a rush. And there's a difference, isn't there? You know, if we're in a rush, we devalue people. Um, having read this quote, I was with my dad yesterday and he's now having to have all his food mashed up to eat and he eats incredibly slowly. I mean incredibly slowly. And I sat with him for, I think, it felt like an hour, it probably wasn't, that's probably an exaggeration, but it felt like that feeding him yesterday. 
And I kept thinking of this because everything in me wanted me to say, Dad, actually, there's, there's people here who could do this. I, I might go now. But actually, the joy of it and the feeling when I drove away was that I'd been able to give him not just his food, but my presence and my actual turning up to be with him. And uh, when I left him, I said, oh, Dad, you look sad. And he said, I'm always sad when you go away, um, which was a bit of a killer as you drive off. Isn't it? Um, but I thought, I'm glad I gave that extra half an hour or whatever. Now, we'll all have examples, and I, I, you know, I know a lot of you are busier than I am, but I do think that there's something about us catching ourselves on, as the Irish would say, and saying, can I just stay a little bit longer with this person? Can I just stop and talk to my child and pray with them at this point, or whatever it might be? Henri Nouwen, one of my favourite philosophers, says, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. It is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. It's a, it's a kind of deep one, but it is a good one, I think, uh, in how are we being transformed? How is our new self uh, coming to the fore? And it doesn't matter if we struggle. I, I really find, we did five-minute silence um, last week in Mosley, and, and I found it really, really difficult. I started to find my mind wandering on to what was happening afterwards and what was happening with refreshments and all sorts of things. But God doesn't mind when he just brings us back. Don't waste time on the guilt trip of where you've been for the last two minutes. Just, he'll welcome us back into his presence. When I was in, in Spain last year, I was struggling with a loss in my life that, that was really deep. And I was thinking about, um, would I ever really be radiant again in him? And I was struggling to really feel that and to really acknowledge it. And I, I felt, as I was praying on my own in the silence, that God was saying, you're a sunflower that has been bowed down and you're going to rise again towards the, the light. And it was to do with a disappointment in my life. And I thought, oh, you know, you do. And it was so vivid. And I wrote it in my journal and I found, you know, I just really got into it. And then I thought, do you know what? I think I've made that up. Does anyone ever... I think I've completely made that up because I, don't, I think I've just wanted to hear that. And then we all had to go into the chapel just at the end of the silence and just write something down and put it at the altar. And I was first in and I just sat at the altar and there was just this whole tapestry of sunflowers lifting up towards the light. Now, you can't really deny that one, can you? <laughs> you can't say, oh, well, that's just me being idealistic. That's God. But if I hadn't met him in the silence and the solitude and done the struggle, believe me, there was struggle involved, but actually to come out of that and be able to say, God, you are changing me. And actually there's a reality to that. What are our barriers to silence and solitude? Well, personality, we know. You know, there'll be some of us who think, oh, gosh, that would be bliss. You know, and the people here are thinking, just give it to me. Give me half an hour of it. Uh, perhaps young parents are particularly thinking that at this time. You know, I would love it, but I don't know how to find it. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes. David Kuntz says that. You know, the art of stopping, whether it's 30 seconds or for five minutes, will bear fruit because it's the intention of the heart uh, that God sees. Fear, it might might be that fear that stops us but actually what did Paul find he found incredible courage 
in the stillness. He found that audacious boldness that he had. So if you like, the divine exchange would be that as we perhaps come and bring our fears, that actually we leave with boldness, we leave with courage. I've certainly found that to be true. Hurry, we've mentioned that thing of the next thing and the next thing. But I believe, and we can test God in this, Beverly Shepherd once said to me, we have enough time. It's like the way we look at the poor and we look at resources and we know there's enough to go around, but our greed has messed it up. And it's a bit the same with time, that actually God says, I have given you enough time, but in the stillness, albeit two minutes, he can reorder our priorities. The things that seem so big an hour ago may not seem the priority that he aligns us Diversion, distraction, that's a big one for me. You know, we think we're going well and then suddenly we're thinking about, you know, something completely random um, that drops into our head. And I think part of that is, is attack. I think part of that is an enemy struggle that wants to take us away. So press on through uh, and don't be guilty about it. The barriers that we have. Looking at what Paul does when he comes out of this time of silence and solitude, he goes to Damascus, the very place that he was going to destroy. If that's not a transformation, I don't know what is. That actually our boldness as we want to reach our friends, our boldness as we want to share the good news with words or with not, that actually that's what comes to him. Then after three years, so he's not hurrying, is he? (laughs) After three years he goes on to Jerusalem where he was seen as a deserter from the Jewish faith. And what they couldn't get their head around was this incredible man of learning that we read in the passage had done a complete 360. And he was very keen to let them know that that was not through the study of books, which had always been his thing, but it was actually in the stillness, in the quiet place. And then he went to Syria and Cilicia, where Tarsus was, where he knew people, where he was brought up, where he had to face people that actually had seen him as a young boy, who knew his his absolute birth into the Jewish faith and his learning, and actually to turn round on that. So as we um, come to a close, I wonder what this means for each of you. What my heart is, and I've really, really prayed for this, is that we feel excited by it rather than guilty. So can you flick a switch for me with God's help and say, here is an extrovert activist speaking to you, a retreat runaway. All right, so I get it. But I do believe that it is a scriptural discipline, a spiritual discipline that will help us all grow. And the great thing is we're on an adventure together. We can say, as one of us did this week, or I tried it, I didn't get very far. That's fine. That's the journey because we're family. And as family, we travel together and we learn from it. But if it worked for Jesus, what did he do to go to the cross? When everything else around him was failing, he took himself out of the situation. He poured his heart. He had his struggle with God in Gethsemane and found the strength to go to the cross for you and me. He found that in a place of silence and solitude. Uh, Toza says, the whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. We have almost forgotten that God is a person and therefore relationship can be cultivated through being alone with him as with any person. When Paul was transformed, he learned that it was not about religion, it was about relationship.
And actually, you think of the person you most love to spend time with in all the world, the person that you crave. Look, Harry and Sandy are having a moment. Um, but actually, the person you crave being with, this is what this is about. It's a happy thing. It's a positive thing. God's not waiting to meet with you to tell you off. Otherwise, why would Paul be Paul? He's waiting to pour his love, his mercy, his strength, his courage into you and I. Uh, I, At the risk of giving you one other quote, and I know I love a quote, but I just found another one that I really, really love from Thomas Akempis as we close. It's not on the screen. If you aim at a fervent spiritual life, then you too must turn your back on the crowds, as Jesus did. The only man who can safely appear in public is the one who wishes he were at home. He alone can safely speak who first prefers to be silent. I'll just read that last bit because it speaks to me. He alone can safely speak who prefers to be silent. Jesus had his power from silence communion with, with God. Paul had the same communion with the Holy Spirit. And for you and I, whatever our weeks look like, let's continue like a muscle to develop this. I put a timer on my phone. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but it works for me just to say, and maybe increase it each day. Maybe start with a minute. And then the next day, if you've you've found that okay, go to two. Uh, And then there may be wonderful super spiritual people who can do it for 30 minutes. I don't know. But there will be all of us that can have that deep communion.